Welcome to the Field Talk Podcast, brought to you by the Linder Farm Network. Grains like soybeans, corn, and wheat aren't the only agricultural products that the U.S. exports. U.S. pork, beef, and lamb products are shipped globally, and the demand is growing. U.S. beef export value reached a new high in November, topping $1 billion for the second time in 2021. That's according to data released by the USDA and compiled by the U.S. Meat Export Federation. November pork exports were lower than a year ago, but year-to-date export value maintained a record pace at more than $7.5 billion. The U.S. Meat Export Federation, or USMEF, works globally to develop markets for U.S. meat products. USMEF CEO Dan Hallstrom joins us today on this Field Talk podcast. First and foremost, for folks out there, uh, just explain a little bit about what the U.S. Meat Export Federation is all about. Yeah, great, Dan. Um, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, the USMEF, US, United States Meat Export Federation, we're, we're a nonprofit trade organization uh, that really our mission is to uh, maximize that value opportunity for the U.S. beef, beef, pork, and lamb exports to the overseas markets. Uh, we're an international organization. We, uh, we were founded in 1976, so this is our 40 sixth year and uh and really the one of the keys to usmef is that uh, uh we have we're based in denver but this is a relatively small office here the the real um bread and butter is our international infrastructure we've got 19 offices around the world uh about 85 people outside the u.s and uh they're they're on the ground each and every day in these markets uh, watching what's going on with uh our products, and more importantly, watch what's going on with uh, you know the global competition. So, in a nutshell, that's what we do uh, each and every day. So then, as far as your uh, your leadership, uh, your board, uh, you know, back here in the states, who makes up the Export Federation? Who's all involved in helping to uh, to guide uh, the industry, so to speak? Yeah, the um, the uh, executive committee is our is our leadership body. Um, 20, uh, 21, well, 20 plus myself are on that executive committee. Uh, and it's a cross section of our, of our membership. Uh, we have nine sectors of membership. Uh, all of those sectors are somehow represented on the board or on the executive committee. Um, you know, beef producers, pork producers, exporters, uh, et cetera, um, corn, soybean, organizations as well. So, uh, and then the executive committee is led by our officer core, uh, which is typically five folks. You've got a chairman, you've got the chair elect, you've got uh, um, our secretary treasurer, and then we have a, uh, uh, I think we call it a vice president, it's the third, uh, the third one uh, that I'm missing, and then our past chairman. So those folks are the ones interacting with uh, the officers, are interacting with myself and our senior uh, staff on a, on a daily, weekly basis. Um, and, um, and then we have regular, what turns out to be uh, monthly or bi-monthly meetings with our entire executive committee. So that's sort of how the structure is and how the interaction works. And then you had mentioned uh, that you're in 19 countries. Uh, what are some of those countries? And then uh, I know it's boots on the ground. How do you go about uh, kind of promoting U.S. meat products as well as, as you said, kind of uh, taking the temperature, engaging the competition out there? Right. 
Yeah, the um, oh, to give you an idea, our first office was established in 1977, so 45 uh, years ago in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, also, our largest office. Um, uh, we um, our newest office is in uh, Durban, South Africa. That was established in. Uh, two months before COVID in late 2019. <laughs> so, uh, and then there's everything in between. So uh, I'll just name off some of them. Some of the larger offices would be Korea, Mexico, Singapore. Um, and some of the newer, uh, more recently established areas would be Central America, South America, which is based in Peru. And we also have uh, a representation in Colombia. Um, you know, that would be an example of some of the smaller emerging regions along with uh, Durban, South Africa that I mentioned. So how do we go about our business? Well, um, almost everything that we deal with has something to do with education, uh, telling our story, um, you know, what, telling our production agriculture story, talking about uh, our food safety, uh, high standards on food safety, our, uh, our products, the merchandising aspects of the products, uh, the culinary cooking styles of using the products. Uh, these are all examples of some of the information flow that happens. So whether you're a brand new market like Durban, South Africa, or if you're our most established market like Japan, it's been around 46 years, we're still doing information education each and every day. Um, as buyers turn over, as uh, you know, the, the millennial generation, the Gen Zers become more active. We're constantly educating. We're constantly learning in these markets. You know, that this is something that's ongoing, whether it's a newer market or an older market. Uh, the other thing that we're constantly doing is um, creating relationships with the trade. Uh, you know, importers, distributors, retailers, food service, further processors, uh, e-commerce platforms, etc., uh, this is ongoing. In a place like Japan, our, we have probably have a database of 30 or 40,000 contacts. In a place like South Africa that's relatively new, we, we might only be three or 4,000 contacts. But the, 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 um, the mission is the same, though, in all these markets. You know, we're, we're creating relationships. We're putting buyer and seller together, the, the buyers being in the markets, the sellers being our membership, our exporters. Uh, this this is kind of gives you a very high level idea of what we're doing each and every day. No, I understand too. Uh, obviously, cultural differences, uh, the the cuts, the the pieces that uh, you know American consumers are used to may not be necessarily what uh, someone in Korea or Japan or elsewhere is is looking at. So that I'm sure creates some, uh, you know, as you said, some some education and some challenges to uh, make sure that. You're providing what folks want, but also an opportunity for U.S. exporters to sell products that perhaps are lesser demand uh, here in the States. Yeah, great point, Dan. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I'm a former exporter. I, I was in the international marketplace myself selling for 27 years before I joined MEF. And the real key is maximizing the carcass value globally. And so, so um, whether it's domestic or international, the two work together because we're maximizing the value of the entire carcass. And you're exactly right. Let's use the example of variety meats, pork and beef variety meats, which for the most part are not necessarily, you might have some demand for tripe in the US and things like this, but generally speaking, it's not a high demand item. Um, whereas in some of our foreign markets, it's very much preferred 
over muscle cuts. Uh, a lot of tripe being sold to places like uh, Colombia and Mexico. There's a, the beef tongues going to Japan as a delicacy. Um, you know, pork, uh, pork intestine and pork uh, rectums go to barbecue in Asia, bringing almost $3 a pound for a pork rectum. I mean, these are things that they add up and, and maximizing that carcass value. So really it's about putting the right cut in the right market to maximize value. And, and I got to emphasize when I talk about maximizing that carcass, I'm not talking about going export or going domestic. You need both. You need the domestic market and the international market to be hitting on all cylinders simultaneously. That's how you drive the value of the carcass uh, higher. Now, we've heard obviously a lot uh, in recent months about uh, transportation challenges with the containers and uh, um, just kind of the whole supply chain and logistics being messed up in many areas. Has that affected uh, I'm assuming that there's obviously chilled product and, and other products that get chipped. Has that affected you folks or how has that uh, situation uh, played out in your world? Yes, without a doubt, it's affected us. I mean, one of the one of the we have two cornerstones of, uh, of our reputation and they're just the gold standard. One is we're the world renowned um, expert or the, the world renowned positive reputation on food safety. If it's USDA establishment number, whatever, on a box, uh, we're pretty much known as, you know, it, it can be assumed to be safe because we have the highest standards in the world on food safety. So that's issue one. Issue two is that we're generally seen as the uh, most reliable supplier of our products, uh, beef, pork, lamb, you can even add poultry and other things in there too. Uh, generally, we're seen as the most reliable supplier. Well, that's a little bit in question now, and, and it's not just the U.S. Other Europe, Brazil, South America are being affected by this supply, uh, international logistical supply chain challenges as well. But yes, to answer your question, we, uh, we started seeing the real impacts, especially on frozen a year ago, back in January of 2021. Uh, they started out small, but steam rolled steadily over time. And then uh, the last quarter of 2021, we started seeing impacts on chilled products as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's this this is one area that has a definite potential to impact this momentum, this record momentum on exports that we've seen the last two or three years. 2021 is going to be ending up being another record year, despite the supply chain challenges. But we really need to uh, focus on this and try to get some, you know, improvements, uh, massive improvements in 2022. We're starting to see some small improvements, but we need more. It's not enough. We need more. Now, you touched on it uh, about record uh, sales. I was just going to ask about the demand. How is demand uh, around the world? And is there uh, any area that is uh, particularly hot, so to speak, as far as uh, growing uh, that interest in U.S. meat products. Yeah, demand uh, demand is booming. It's record breaking, um, and it's broad based. Um, starting with beef, um, you look at the beef rebound uh, in COVID. Um, it's just it's through the roof. It's it's Asia. You know, it's, it's places like China on beef. It's it's Korea on beef. Um, it's um, Japan and then Latin America, Mexico, Central America, South America, they're all booming. And it's not just, uh, you know, you would think with, you know, on beef, especially, we were pretty reliant on food service. And we did take a hit in early 2020. But 
we're, we're blowing the doors off in the rebound. I mean, still, we're still struggling in a lot of Asia on food service, but the, the retail is through the roof, much like it was here. But the other area that's really through the roof is e-commerce, the online platforms. Now, I know we talk about it in the U.S., but I'll guarantee you the U.S. share of e-commerce versus the international, it, it's small here compared to international. Uh, it's estimated in Korea, for example, that by the year 2025, 40% of all grocery sales will be in some sort of online form in Korea. Give you an idea. So, yeah, the business and pork is similar. The only difference on pork is it's broad based demand, but uh, China's a little different situation on pork as they recover from ASF. Uh, they, they were down about 25% last year in China, which we knew would happen. Still the second largest year ever for exporting to China on pork. Um, but we were able to offset that with all the other countries. Once again, it's Japan, it's Korea, it's, uh, it's Philippines, it's uh, Central America, it's Mexico, it's, uh, you know, the rest of the world offset those down, um, downtrends into China. So, yeah, uh, demand is booming, demand is strong, um, even with the higher prices, especially on beef, it's been strong. So, uh, yeah, I think we're set up pretty well to at least um, provided that we get some improvement on the supply chain issue. We're set up for another good year in 2022. Now, you had mentioned opening an office uh, recently in uh, South Africa. Are there other uh, emerging areas that, uh, you know, maybe you have an office there, maybe you don't, but uh, starting to see make some inroads? Are there areas that folks should watch for as the potential new uh, growing customers? Yeah, I think the continent of Africa in general is something we have to keep an eye on, um, especially for variety meats, uh, especially for beef muscle cuts. Um, you know, pork too, to some extent, although you have some religious uh, hurdles there. But uh, yeah, Africa in general, um, you know, other places like Angola, Ghana, Kenya, um, you know, it's not just South Africa. And then in the north part of Africa, Morocco, uh, stands out in Egypt. So, yeah, I think um, I think we're going to be talking a lot more about Africa in the next, uh, you know, short term, let's say in the next three to five years, it'll become much more of a mainstay, I believe. And then you look at Southeast Asia as another area, Philippines, Indonesia, uh, maybe Vietnam as well. Uh, these are places that have a lot of potential growth as well. And then finally, Dan, and again, I appreciate your time joining us this morning. Uh, I guess some of the key things that uh, the uh, USMEF will be working on in the coming year. Well, I think, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, our base is to provide education, right, to tell our story. And I think we can do, as an industry and an MEF globally, we can do a better job of telling our story. I think there's a lot of things that production agriculture is working on. Um, sustainability stands out. We, we do amazing things. We're doing a lot more with a lot less in terms of uh, resources. Um, and I, I think there's a story, a very positive story there to tell. And uh, that's one of the focuses that we have going into 2022 and beyond is to do a better job of uh, and, and getting credit for a lot of the work that we already have done and of course, we all know the focus on sustainable agriculture going forward. Uh, I think that's one example of something that we'll be really focused on going forward. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Field Talk. Be sure to check out linderfarmnetwork.com and tune into your local Linder Farm Network affiliates across Minnesota.